And we started by looking at the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was the fifth largest Roman city at the time. But it was a pagan hotbed. It was a place where they had a temple larger, four times larger than the Parthenon, to honor their fertility goddess. And so some of these believers are surrounded by, by this paganism. And Paul's writing back to them saying, don't forget who you are. Don't forget why you're here. In the first six verses, Paul told us that in Christ, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms. In Christ, that God chose us. Before the dawn of time, before the creation of the world, God chose us because he loved us. In Christ, God adopted us into his family. Our sons and daughters of the king. And tonight, tonight, see, there I go. Tonight, this morning, we're going to see where Paul says, but wait, there's still more. Look what else. So we're going to start reading in the first chapter of Ephesians in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been destined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praises of his glory. In Christ, because of his blood, we have redemption. That's a hard word for us. It's not a word that we're all too familiar with. But the Jews and the believers of Paul's time they knew exactly what it meant. Because to redeem was a buying back from a bondage to slavery. It was the same word that was used to illustrate God's rescue of the Israelites from Egypt. Deuteronomy 7, 8 says, But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, the Israelites were bought back with the blood of the Lamb. It was the first Passover that allowed them to escape the slavery in Egypt. Remember, it was that last plague in Egypt that was to take the firstborn son of everyone in Egypt. It was only the blood of the Lamb that the Israelites had placed over their doors that of death went by them. That was redemption. That's the redemption we get from the blood of 
Jesus that he shed on the cross. It's that same blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, that paid the debt for us. In Jesus' blood, we're redeemed, we're brought back into that right relationship with God. We're saved from the bondage and the slavery of sin. See, most of us can't relate to the idea of slavery. We have no idea what it feels like to be stripped of our rights, to be stripped of our freedom, to lose our dignity or be owned by another person. But we may understand what it feels like to be helpless. Most likely, we've all been in some situation where we felt absolutely helpless, unable to fix our problem or change the circumstances that we found ourselves in. That's where Jesus finds us. He finds us helpless in our bondage to sin. Because of our sin nature, we are enslaved. We're trapped and we're helpless to do anything about it. We're without hope. We're without dignity. But we don't recognize that indebtedness. There's a holy and just God. We're indebted to Him. See, if we live in the trash heap long enough, eventually the foul smells aren't so foul anymore. They just become natural. They become normal to you. But that's when God steps in. He chose you. He predestined you to be adopted into his family. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to fill you with a wisdom and an understanding so that you see the trash heap that you're in. So that you can see that he has a plan. He has something better for you. And it's with that wisdom and that understanding that the Spirit delivers to us that we see ourselves in our sin. We see our depravity before holy God. And we understand that he sent Jesus to free us, to rescue us, to redeem us. Because only Jesus, the unblemished Lamb of God, the perfect Son of God, could pay that debt. Through his blood, shed on the cross, we've been redeemed. Our debt is marked, paid in full. And we are bought back into that right relationship with God. The word that Paul used to describe that gift was lavished. That grace is abundant. It's extravagant. See, if we only sin once in a while, we wouldn't need grace lavished upon us. Our sins are innumerable. Paul says that we can't out-sin God. No matter what you've done, God will lavish his grace upon you. If you believe and you repent and you put your trust in him, he lavishes his grace upon you. Lavishes his grace. It's abundant and extravagant. It's greater than anything you could ever imagine. But how do we respond to that grace? Do we honor God? Do we praise and worship Him for the grace that He has freely given us? Our very lives are an offering to God for all that He's done. But Paul says, but wait! 
there's still more. He's also made known to us the mystery of his will. What is this mystery? Over the summer, we studied the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And in the Old Testament, we saw how all those saints had faith. They had a hope that God would rescue them, that God would redeem them. They didn't know how it would happen, but they believed in God's promise to rescue them. They believed that the world would be blessed through the son of Abraham. They believed that the one to come would be called mighty God, everlasting Father. But the mystery that they could not have imagined at the time that God would send his own son to come to earth to suffer and die in our place to lavish his grace upon us upon Jews and Gentiles alike the story of Abraham and Isaac shines a little bit of light on that mystery that Old Testament saints were in. When Abraham's bringing Isaac up to the mountain, and Isaac says to his father, he says, But father, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's reply is, God will provide the sacrifice. Only looking back now, can we see the wonder, the awe that's hidden in that expression. Knowing that God provided himself, the Lamb of God, to be the ultimate sacrifice for all. See, we're on the other side of that mystery. We live on the other side of God's fulfilled promise to redeem his people and unite them under the cross of Christ. Now Paul continues this praise in verse 11, stating that in Christ we've obtained an now, who doesn't want a letter coming in the mail from a long-lost relative, wealthy relative, that says, hey, I just left you everything. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? But guess what? In Christ you have an inheritance. You have a Savior who loves you, who died for you, so that you could inherit all things. 1 Corinthians 3 Verse 21 says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. It's all about Him. We should be praising the Father that Jesus, Jesus conquered death because all things that we inherit. Without Jesus, nothing else matters. He is goodness, He is righteousness, He is truth, and we praise Him for saving us, for adopting us, and for giving us an inheritance. Verse 12 says that we are to be the praise of His glory. As His sons and His daughters, as we display the characteristics of our Father, when we show grace and compassion and love and justice, we display holiness to those around us. We 
You're being the praise of His glory. That's what brings Him joy. And it's these characteristics of God that we display that are the fruits of the Spirit within us. Paul tells us in verse 13, When you believe, you are marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. In Christ, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The believers reading Paul's letter knew that a seal was a mark. It was a mark that was used to convey ownership. Slaves would bear the mark of their owners. And God gives us the Holy Spirit as His mark to show the world that we're His. We belong to Him. That's why it's so important for us to live lives that are worthy of Him. Because if we behave like the rest of the world, and yet claim that we have the mark of the Father. We're hypocrites. We're lying. We're dishonoring our Father. But on the other hand, if we take the deposit of the Holy Spirit and we surrender to it, we'll experience a taste of the fullness to come. Because with the Holy Spirit living in us, we have a craving for God's Word. We have a yearning to know Him better. To know it more. Because the Holy Spirit will always point us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will always bring us to the cross. And the Holy Spirit will always make us more like Jesus. With the Holy Spirit living in us, we will experience peace and joy in circumstances that the world out there just won't understand. With the Holy Spirit in us, we'll have the courage to be empowered to love in ways that matter and praising our Father. And then Paul says again, but wait, there's more. Starting in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. Paul just gave us one of the reasons why the church, the body of Christ, matters. Why it's so important. We should be celebrating with one another over the salvation of our fellow believers. When someone comes out of the darkness to step into the light, accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we should be praising and celebrating with the angels in heaven. Because now they're a part of the family of God. They're our brothers and sisters. We're to love them as Jesus loves us. We're to be thankful for one another. And pray for one another. Paul says, ever since I heard, I have not stopped. His thankfulness, his prayers for the brothers and sisters were not a one-time event. It was an ongoing process. Ever since I heard, I haven't stopped. We need the prayers of our brothers and sisters. And then he continues to tell us, this is how I want you to pray for your brethren. Picking up in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
so that you may know him better. God doesn't want to be your acquaintance. He wants you to know him fully and intimately. You pick up a biography and you read it. You say, oh, I know this person now. I know all about them.
We're free from striving for God's love. We're free from the burdens and the expectations that this world puts upon us. We're free to live in a childlike joy as God's beloved children. We're free to live a life in ways that brings glory to our Father, in ways that expresses overwhelming gratitude for His grace. Paul even tells us how it's all possible. In verse 19, in His incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything every way. An incomparably great power. It's immeasurable. See, our first glimpse of God's power was when we accepted His gift of grace. It's when we repented of our sin and confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. When we stepped from darkness to light, when our sin was washed clean with the blood of Jesus Christ, gave eternal life, only because of the incomparably great power of God. And that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that same power that seats Jesus in the heavenly realms at God's right hand, that's the same great power that's in every one of us, in every follower of Christ. Verse 22 says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The church, the body of Christ, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. The church is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the fullness of Christ in the world. That's how the world out there knows God, because of the church. Christ should be in us as we go about our day-to-day -day routines. With his light shining in the darkness to the world. Imagine the difference we could make in our communities. Imagine the difference we could make in our world. If the saints, if the church really believed that they were filled with the fullness of Christ, with the power of God, what would it look like? How would our priorities change? How would people treat one another and care for one another? Have you watched the news lately? We are in a world that is desperate for the power of God, and yet they deny the power of God. But think what a church can do when they embrace that power of God within them and recognize the fullness of Christ in them and go out there Share it. Not hitting them over the head saying, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. No, it's not that. It's loving them where they're at. It's caring in ways that people need. Just letting them know they matter. 
God has chosen to reveal his power through the church. He has a high view of the church. See, we like to think of the church more as an institutional system. It's a building. It's a place to go on Sundays. But the church is the spiritual body of Christ. God calls us to ensure that Christ is Lord. That we keep him Lord over everything. Especially over his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. He's the head. If we want to be a body that displays the power of God to the world, we have to first allow his power to work in our hearts. experiencing that power. Because the purpose of God's power is to change us. It's to change our thoughts. It's to change our behavior. God's power, the whole purpose of God's power is to make us more like Jesus. Are you experiencing that power in your life today? Are you free? Feel free from the bondage of your past. Are you still tied to it? Do you have peace in the here and now? Do you have hope for the future as you look ahead? You don't feel free. If you feel tied, if you feel in bondage, don't leave here today. That is not what God's plan is for you. Don't leave here today feeling that way because that is not. God has a plan for every one of us. He continues to work out that plan in each of our lives. And he'll continue to do that until Jesus takes us home. Or Jesus comes back. Whichever comes first. Church, we need to rejoice in all that God has done for us. He's given us a spiritual blessing. He's chosen us before they laid the foundation of the world, he chose you. He predestined us to be adopted into his family. We're sons and daughters of the king. In Christ, he revealed the mystery of his plan to unite all. Well, all back home. In Christ, he redeemed us. In Christ, he's forgiven us.
so that they too can be free, that they too can know that they are loved. In Jesus' precious and holy name.